Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Conservation, a laid-back podcast where we discuss everything from cool animals, conservation, the environment, and what we can do to help. I'm Robert Pike, a field journalist for the Global Conservation Force, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Veal, a world-renowned rhino conservationist and president of the Global Conservation Force. Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Conservation with Mike Veal and Robert Pike. Robert couldn't make the episode today, so it'll be just me and our special guest, Kendra. Kendra, welcome on the show today. Hi, thank you for having me. Let's start with the basics real quick. Um, You're a SoCal native and you're working abroad in the conservation film scene. And where did you, how how did this all start? Where did you like kind of select this journey and what passion led you to the field? Yeah, so I actually was lucky enough in high school, um, my junior year to have a film course option um, as one of my um, art classes. So I actually took that and fell in love with it um, and then went to film school out here in SoCal at Chapman. And um, yeah, spent four years just learning everything I could about film, loved it. And they did a great job at helping me get internships and I started working right away and it was amazing. But um, Hollywood can be hard. And um, I wasn't loving always what I was creating there. Um, The projects I would work in weren't really what I was passionate about. And I had a moment of what am I doing? Do I even like film? It made me question everything. And so I decided that to take like a year off and I traveled and I actually volunteered in Zambia for a bunch of months. And I went to Namibia and volunteered and just fell in love with conservation. Um, I've always been a big animal person. So that's why I even chose to do that. And then actually being out there in the field, I was like, oh, it just clicked. I was like, this is it. And um, I decided to bring kind of my two passions, I guess, together, which is film and conservation, like wildlife. And yeah, I just started reaching out to different conservation groups and offering, hey, I'll do media and promo videos. And then I went for it in 2021 and filmed my first feature link documentary. Rad. So uh, your high school had a film class that you could actually take. So that was like kind of the spark moment was was growing up. Did you have any other precursor things where you're like, I want to work with camera sets or was like that the like aha moment? Like, I really like this. I am like, I want to do this. So I didn't have a memory of that, but my mom told me like a few years ago that she showed me all this footage from our, actually our first trip to Africa when I was in middle school. And it was me on the filming the whole time on the camcorder and doing voiceovers. (laughs) And like, I made this whole like video of our trip and I hadn't, I'm, I didn't really remember that. My mom showed it to me. She's like, oh, like you always wanted to hold the camera and you're making these fun videos. And like, so I guess it was from also when I was younger, um, which I thought was so funny learning more recently. And like the videos were hilarious that I was doing, but I like loved it. She said I wouldn't let go of the camera the whole trip and stuff. So I guess, yes. Um, but it really clicked for me during that class where I was like, oh, like I could do this for, for forever. So were you like working on 
by the time you were in high school, were you working on digital or was it still like film transferred in and rendered or was it like, was it more modern? Cause I had a film class actually when I was in high school and we have, we had to do like the whole, uh, VHS like transfer and do that whole process. And the computers were slow and we were using Adobe and, um, it's changed so much in the space now. Like what was that computer lab like then versus like what you got now? So I actually, in high school, it was still digital for me. (laughs) 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 I guess, um, you know, um, but I, it's funny that you say that because I actually took a legit film class then at Chapman took because I wanted to learn the other side. And I have to tell you, to me, that was a pain in the ass. I couldn't oh, do it. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, they're like, oh, we got to stop and we have to load the film. Oh no, there's a jam. Oh no, we have to go back. And like, all, I was sat there, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to shoot on digital. <laughs> like, Yeah, like I'm not in on this game. Like you're not artsy yeah. enough to want to mess with the film realm. <laughs> no. And like, I can't even imagine that out in the bush. Oh, I know. You and look like- at the old film reels of like the wildlife stuff they're doing and you know the current challenges and you look at that and go like you could lose all of it because one reel got completely damaged or the exposure was off i mean boom done and just the fear of like exchanging out the film and the dust oh yeah i would no i'm i mean i'm scared enough i'm like on the back of the trucks with my camera going really fast and that already gives me anxiety i can't imagine like and then imagine if you you miss something because oh no I couldn't oh it's <laughs> brutal the brutal. digital space has made things a lot easier but I guess that's a good merge so from concept like going through it in you know the college space to working let's we'll call it like more corporate film I guess we're more like industry based in you know the fixtures of California versus the field. <laughs> What are some of those big changes that maybe you didn't see coming and some of the big aha moments and like some of your like takeaways now, like that you you've, you've done it so many aspects and areas, you kind of know where to, where to, I guess, uh, create your saves and your cat, your safety nets. Um, the biggest difference of working in Hollywood versus the bush is planning. Um, <laughs> I was taught in film school and working like we would plan each scene by the minute, by the second. We would even say it's going to take us 15 minutes to set up the shot. It will take us 20 minutes to shoot it. Then, you know, 20 minutes to take it down or whatever it was like to the T to the point where even our like breaks our crafty was planned down to the minute. And, you know, you would plan six months to a year in advance and you it would be like set. And then, you know, I went to the bush and it was like, Oh yeah. Come around these dates and we might do these things. And then the day you show up, it's like, Oh no, now we're doing this. Um, so the beginning I'd say that was a hard adjustment for me. Um, and you really have to learn, like go with the flow and you're going to show up and like, who knows what's going to happen. And like, it was a very much like you let go and just film, um, which has its pros and cons. I have to say it really taught me to be a better filmmaker and just like learn what the story is on the ground. Um, but also has its challenges of like planning and like, you really never know what's going to happen and that can be hard. Um, so I would say that's a number one change challenge, I guess that I've experienced from going from 
crazy planning to just like show up. <laughs> I don't know. Show up, hit, hit record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that has been one of the biggest, like, oh my God. And in that element, what do you think about all the non-studio elements of dealing with different types of light in the middle of whenever you can get that shot or um, you can't do redos in some aspects, you know, like what, what is that like for you when you, like, how are you balancing that act in the field? Cause it, that's, that one is one that we've noticed when we've had different crews out. They're like, wait, 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 can you do that again? We're like, sorry, that's, that's, that was a wild moment right there. <laughs> Uh, I scream a lot into a pillow. Um, there's no, it's so frustrating. Like in all honesty, like I, before I made my first documentary, I just was working with conservation groups doing media. So I think that helped me basically let go that like, it's done. You miss the shot and move on. Yeah. Um, but I will not lie to you where there's certain moments where you're just like, oh, I just missed that. Or like, oh, I had a situation filming a vet where, Basically, he got in my way when he was darting the cheetah. And like, that was that. There it is. And, I was and like, that was like the, the main shot you wanted to get slow. That was the main shot. I was sitting there just like, okay, there's, t you know, pepper ticks all over me. I have scraped legs. It was so hot that day. I'm sweating. We went for that. And it was just like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you have to keep moving. You know, we have the, I'm filming the rest of the day. We're filming the moving of the cheetah. Like you still have to be on your A game, but I won't lie and say I don't, later look at my filming partner sometimes and just be like, I'm upset. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You know? So it definitely is hard. I think I do, but how I kind of learned what I need to do then is accept that I'm going to be filming for long periods of time with one group, you know, yeah. like even we discussed me coming back and filming during the training. It's like, I it's accepting that this is going to be a long process. I'm going to have to do it multiple times and like enjoy the ride kind of and let it go. But I will not lie to you and say I don't have moments. I'm just like, or like the, the rhino lands and the sun's blasting my camera. And I'm just like, oh, I'm just <laughs> it's so frustrating. Sometimes you're just like, cool. You're like, yep. So uh, what about load shedding and data sharing? So like when you've got something that you want to get and you lose the power. <laughs> yeah. I at least know enough about load shedding. So I have about four batteries. Nice. And they're charged constantly. So if I have a situation where it's load shedding that night and it's all night and I know I have to film the next day, I can not stress because I'm like, oh, I have two more batteries. Like I make sure everything's always charged, even at random times. Like I come home and always dump my footage on two hard drives. And I just oh, yeah. like really got in my workflow of making sure I'm prepared no matter what, you know, because we even get the call that's like, oh, come in 10 minutes, you know, like we'll pick you up in 10 minutes. We're filming. And it's like, you have to just kind of be ready. Um, so, you know, just constantly on, on edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because like, to me, the, the way that like you have to be ready as someone who's filming is very similar to how Rangers have to be ready. And so it's f like, you don't know what that next turn is going to be. And if you want to have the best outcome for you guys, it's capturing that moment for us. It might be, saving or stopping something and um that readiness is like almost like a fireman's call like there's a, the potential of that light going off is like at any given time and so that every there isn't really a downtime like there's a 
moments where you breathe a little bit more, but like you're always having like batteries and memory cards and backups all done as soon as you can, when you can, wherever you can, because something amazing might happen and you might get a call out um, or something crazy that, you know, really fits into the story. Um, have you had any fun challenges traveling with your cameras through customs or any of the border points? Um, no, but I have a backpack, a camera backpack that literally just looks like a normal backpack on purpose. And then I think I have a very innocent looking face. <laughs> I do have to say having an American passport does help because yes. I barely even get questioned. Like I will go through the border and it, they don't even ask when I'm leaving. They just stamp in and are like, yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah, okay. Bye. Exactly. And you know that Johannes airport, like it's to the left is like, if you have something to declare. So if you just don't walk there, you just keep walking. Like nobody stops you versus like in the U S it's random. Yeah. So honestly, it's been relaxed for now. Um, it isn't sometimes in the back of my head, I will say where I'm like, eh. but you know, again, I feel like the one thing of filming, especially in South Africa is just kind of like, you'll make a plan, you'll go with the flow, like things work out in a weird way. And like, I just kind of remind myself of that. It's just kind of like, well, I don't know. We'll work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you do gotta, gotta roll with it. Yeah. Um, so like logistics, what's one of your favorite, like you got the shot stories, like one that like really worked out that you felt like really paid off with all your planning and I guess nimbleness in the bush with how you kind of roll with the lifestyle out there. Um, one of the coolest shots I just got was when we were filming the vet, uh, wildlife vet and we had been looking for this snared hyena for like hours. We did a call up. It's we're just waiting there. We're waiting there. Like we lost hope. And the vet was like, let's just drive around and see if we can see, like see the snared hyena. And I'm sitting there being like, Oh, we're not going to get the shot. And, all this stuff. And it was actually really cool because it ended up being, we got the darting shot <laughs> at nice. night with like oh, wow. a really cool, you see the, just the, you know, he has his headlight on. So you see the gun and then somebody else says, you know, has a torch showing the hyena and I actually got the shot. Um, and that was really cool. And we saved also a pregnant hyena um, who had oh, been snared. Right. So for me, it was like such a win-win where we got really epic footage um, and this hyena that was probably that, uh, the vet said was probably going to give birth in like a week. We also got the snare off. Um, and so for me, I was like, that was a really cool experience on both ends, you know? Yeah, that is really cool. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's going to be a really cool story to share too. Um, yeah. with, with conservation being such a loaded bag of chaos, um, what what is it like being through the lens and then kind of like stopping for a moment and looking around the camera and realizing like this is happening, like snaring is brutal. And so a lot of folks, I don't think <clears throat> have the perspective of like the heat, the smell, the long days, how hard it is to get to that spot, how difficult it is to actually get to the animal. Um, you know, we're talking about areas the size of like San Diego County sometimes, and you're trying to find one animal and it doesn't have a radio collar on and it's, you know, just somewhere out there. So you've got guides with foot tracking going on, 
sightings backing up and then boom, you get the shot. Like, um, what have some of those experiences been like for you? Like where you, you're aware of these things, but then like it's happening in front of you and you realize like, Oh, I am here now. Like step aside from the camera. What kind of impact has that had for you? Yeah. I mean, um, I sometimes get very wrapped up in getting the shot and I will like, I mean, there's photos of me just hunched back, like glaring into the camera. Like that's my focus. Like, honestly, there could probably be like an explosion in my right. And I still would just be like here focused. And actually over time I've had to learn like, okay, take a beat now. Like you just are at a giant big bull, you know, big Tusker collaring and you're, you know, like take a moment to appreciate it. And I've actually had to like teach myself that because I'll go like full into like, get the best shot. I'm like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? Like all that. Oh, yeah. and it's interesting when I now that I've been doing it for a while, like, I'm like, Oh, take a pause. and like, what are you like experiencing right now? Like, what do you as a human being experience? It's incredible when you have those moments, like, you know, I, it's such an incredible feeling. And like, for me, as much as I want to get the shot, I'm doing it because I truly believe in the work that conservationists are doing and wanting to tell their stories and taking a moment to appreciate what this work is being done is just so incredible. Like, I feel like I've seen, you know, people, people save lives, you know, like save mm-hmm. animals and, you know, incredible stuff. That's just, you take, you definitely have to take that moment to be like, wow, like this is happening right now here. Like this is incredible. Um, and get my head out of the camera, even if it's just for 30 seconds to like look around or have that beat of like, that just happened. Like it was funny after the snared hyena, my filming partner and I looked at each other and we both were like, that was so exciting. Like that just happened. Cause it was like, you do get wrapped up in filming and it is nice when you have those moments where you're like, wow, like, you know, we got to feel the baby in the stomach and like stuff like that, where it was like, it was really cool. Like not many people can say that. And it was such an incredible moment that you're like, okay, that was, that was cool. And like having those moments where you're like, And like you said, like the days are long, you know, we spent hours at times looking for one animal and you don't even get it. And you go back out the next day and a lot of disappointments and even like seeing sad things and like all that. It's, it's not for the faint hearted, I would say. I think anyone working in conservation, no matter if it's, you know, the whole, there's so many jobs. And I think people don't really realize like what goes into it. It just Mm -hmm. looks fun on social media. And I think that that's part of the thing I want to show with the docu series I'm working on is that like, this is hard. This is heartbreaking at times. This takes a lot of effort. People are working 12, 14 hours days. Like this is somebody's life. And like, they're doing all this to basically say wildlife. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, that's a good, uh, topic there. You want to talk about your docu series? It's a pretty cool one. I mean, you've got quite a bit of time into it now, right? About a year plus. Is that what? About a year. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm right now filming a docu-series. Um, and it's basically just showing the different types of conservation. And each episode's kind of highlighting a different type and group from like rangers to vets to community engagement, like all different types that are all important, but people really don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, as born and raised in America, I feel like it's crazy to me to hear the lack of education in it. And I feel like there's so many beautiful documentaries about, you know, showing the wildlife, which is amazing and needed, but I feel like there's not a lot just showing like 
what is also happening on the ground so you can see those pretty things. Yeah. The human element's missing. The human element is missing. And just the emotions of it. Like, I mean, I only get a snippet of it, but there's been times I've cried. There's been times I felt scared. There's been times like all this stuff just filming. And I don't think people really understand all of that. And so I really want to create a docu-series that shows it and really takes a beat to bring people into that world, even if they can just appreciate it for 20 minutes per episode. And to show all different types as well, people all connect with different things. And so it's giving an opportunity for a person to care about one of these groups, care about one of this type of conservation, connect with it in one way, and really just hope that I can start to like bring so many outsiders to start to understand the world, this world and why it's important and like not just, oh, look, they're in a chopper on Instagram. Cool. Yeah, conservation's a realm that like, so one of the reasons we started the podcast is so we could bring these stories into a deeper context because social media is finicky. You have, you want to get your points across as like a nonprofit, for example, you want to get your, 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 your nonprofit points across and your kind of key updates, but you also know that like you're in competition for flashy and sexy things on the internet. So you have a half second of engagement, maybe 15 seconds to 30 if you're lucky, and you can't ever divulge the depth of information that needs to come out of that. And so like on GCF's social media, we are very much uh, kind of a blend of like the programs, the ethos and like the impact and very much not about the dramatized aspects of conservation wherever we can. So like you'll almost never see us post a bloody crime scene, even though we're on them regularly. Um, you won't see us with uh, a lot of our arrests online because that is not enough attention span to make a depth of a conversation usually, unless it's like a big player. Um, And same thing with like certain other things that are quote sexy. It seems like the sexier and simpler, the more simple that aspect of conservation is, the more shallow and the less impactful it is. So like it's damaging in the conservation space to show those things. And like one of my big pet peeves is like, making the rangers looked up like you know these jocked up super macho dudes that's not a healthy image for wildlife protection at all and you get the wrong communication layers out of it into what you need so then so like on our side again like because conservation is so complex uh if the messaging on the internet is wrong and these documentaries are just superficial or only wildlife we continually get questions like that that are superficial with people driving their own personal interests into conservation. Like, oh, what you need is you need these guys that are going to be a kill squad and shoot all these people. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not what this scene is about. That is not what we're doing. Or they'll be like, you know, on the opposite. And I'm not a fan of dehorning. It's a practical, like, evil necessary factor right now in conservation. But I really don't like it because... It's sold as like, oh, this is really, really helping. It's like, well, I'll give it like 5%. I'll give it 5%. That's what I'll say. Like, I've Putting seen- Putting a band on a bullet wound. Yeah, it is really. And it's, dehorn rhinos get shot still, but we still have to dehorn rhinos to reduce the pressure. But in the bigger scheme, it if one reserve is dehorned and they get all the you know media and the funding, they're essentially killing the, the rhinos next door. 
because they may not have that. So, you know, all of these little sexy icons of conservation, um, it's nice to have like you as a filmmaker coming back through and telling the complexity in a series. Cause I think series is like in a series form is also like really healthy for how attention spans are, especially in the streaming space. Yeah. <laughs> and you can bring out multiple players. And I think that's really important too. Cause um, there are a lot of individuals who have a lot of airtime, which is, in my opinion, it's necessary, but not the best because it doesn't give enough uh, diversity in the space of like job titles, types of work, people involved, complexity, uh, because uh, people think they can, they can only be a vet or they can only be a Steve Irwin or they can only be uh, a Rambo. And that's how you save conservation. And that's just not what it really is or a PhD. Um, yeah. I, don't have problems with PhDs, but I like to poke fun at them because like that is the, the old guard of yeah. conservation and they serve a purpose. They have a place and it is important just like everybody else. But it's another one of those things where people give up. They're like, well, I have no chance in this field because I'd have to be a PhD. I'm like, well, that's if you're writing papers and doing research and there's a bazillion other things you can do. Um, yeah. I mean, the reason I got this idea actually for my docu-series was in 2021 when I was filming my other documentary, um, one of the biggest threats to wildlife was social media. Yeah. It's interesting because about we, oh my gosh, I think I interviewed 30 people for that documentary. Um, and more than once that came up and people were talking about like how social media is like, now it's like the only way that people will donate is if they get to be involved if they get to take a picture and post it. And it's crazy yeah. because it's like people aren't even doing it for like, just to do it. It's like for the likes or this. And it's like, even now, you know, you and I have talked about dehornings and it's people based and everyone takes a photo with the rhino and it's about posting it. And like, it has become this really interesting balance right now that conservation's in it's go, it's a very thin line that it's walking of social media is great. It's, getting the message out there. It's getting money. It's getting donations. That's all positive. But at the same time, it comes with so many negative things. And like you said, like the certain things that get more likes and get whatever. And the, the guys with the guns and the dogs and the, you know, whatever is like, Oh, people are like, Oh yes. Like donate, whatever. But yet it's not the full story. It's not the full message. And so that's actually what gave me the idea to this docu series was like, okay, if, People who work on the ground every day are saying social media is a threat. Legit, mm -hmm. They use the word threat to conservation and wildlife. I was like, how can I help? Like, what is, what's then the opposite of that? And it's, to me, was telling the full story, you know, like yeah. it's so like, this is really what's happening. This is the unsexy side. This is what it really is like. This is what's really needed. You know, like this is for me, like, I agree with like certain you know, operations, you're just like, wow, like, is this really helping? What's the long-term effect? But like, people are so desperate, like, you know, we're losing the fight. That's just the truth. Like, and yeah. when you're losing the fight, people grasp at things, which is understandable, but it's like, I really want to bring people in and be like, this is what's really happening. And like, if you want to help, if you want to get involved, even if you share and educate one other person, this is kind of the, what's really happening versus, oh, I saw this on social media. Exactly. Like, oh, I've had so many people DM me and be like, I want to do what you do. And it's like, but you don't even 
no. Like, do you really want to go like sit for four months and sometimes be crazy busy with the call to go film? And then other times you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs. Like, that's just the truth. You know, like you have to basically kind of dedicate most of your life to like, this is what you're doing. And there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with it. A lot of sacrifice. A lot of sacrifice. People never realize that. Like, I feel like you sacrifice everything almost. It's like, yeah, you do. You miss big family events. You miss like big friends events. You lose part of your community. Like, you know, you, I feel like I get skinnier when I'm there because I don't eat because I'm stressed and you're always ready. You know, it's breakfast time, but you get a call to go film. You're going to go film. And so it's just like people don't really realize, like, my phone was on loud for like two months in case, you know, we got a last minute call. Like I was constantly (laughs) stressed and checking it like it, you know, and that's only even just a small sliver of like all of that, you know. So it's it's interesting that people only see such a sexy side and it's like, you know, that's not even getting into the bugs and the diseases and the you know, like, Oh yeah. That's like a whole other side that people don't even realize. Like people are like, Oh, but it seems so fun. I'm like, it is at times. Do not get me wrong. Like I love this job, but I'm not saying that there's not moments where I'm just like, Oh my God, like what have I gotten into? Like, Oh yeah. Even me. I mean, I've been doing it for, you know, almost 15 years and (laughs) there are moments just like you said, the camera, there are times where even though like trained in this work in this do this all the time i have to walk away from things and be like drop an f-bomb or like just be like i'm gonna eat dinner in pure silence tonight i I'm, nothing personal guys i'm so burnt out i just need like two hours to recoup like you know or just like hey i'll see you in the morning and the field takes a lot from you like you said like missing holidays missing your friend's life marks uh your own life marks, all these other things that you have in the mix, um, like I, comically. So it's, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this podcast early November, 2023 next week, you know, we're hitting the holiday season. I will be missing all of the Thanksgiving celebrations with family and friends. Cause I'll be on work duties for investigations. I mean, I'm used to it. I'm not, I'm actually not too sad about it, but it is something where like, I probably will be like having a thought about it on Thanksgiving day. I'm like, Oh dang, it would be kind of nice to be sitting with everybody today and catching up. But you know, the lifestyle is one I chose and we chose, we know the field, we know the grind, but that glamorous sell on social media doesn't tell those stories. And it's really funny. Cause just like you said, you have people like shoot you a message in your DMS. I will get one too. I'll be like, I'll get like a wide mix of like, how can I do that? Which is fine. Cause we like to help to the opposite which is like the ego-driven dude who's like you should pay me to go and i'm like really bro you haven't even traveled like do you know how do you have a passport do you have you ever lived off of rations for five weeks do you know what it's like to get shot at do you know what it's like to be solo in the middle of nowhere and you can't call 911 there isn't any rescue like your buddy is your rescue and you better hope he's trained or like you know the other side which is even the most comical thing is like can you cook for yourself? Cause yeah. where we're going, you're going to be able to buy like potatoes, old beef, and maybe like biltong and some bread. And are you going to be able to, are you gonna be able to survive on that? You know, like, yeah. and yeah, sorry, yeah. we're, uh, none of us are getting healthy paychecks. Uh, so we can't be, you know, like that's the other thing is like, you get people will come at you and be like, this is, 
here's my portfolio. I'm like, it's impressive and I appreciate your time, but um, I don't know if you know about the conservation space, but uh, almost no one's getting paid anything equivalent to a regular desk job world in the US. <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean, different. It's crazy. I've done the same thing. Like, I've spent a birthday completely like alone in this like tiny community in Zambia with like no running water, no Wi Fi. I couldn't even call anyone. I just sat there. I was like, okay. You know, but again, like, it's the life you choose. And I don't regret it for a second, but it's funny. You have those moments and you're like, okay, like, this is worth it. Or like, you know, you, you have those moments, but people really don't understand. Like I, it's lonely at times. Like it's truly is like, you'll be out in the middle of nowhere. And I've spent time where I can speak to two people who speak English and that's yeah. it. And, Oh, I don't know what just happened. Um, and Oops. that might've been me. I was, okay. I was seeing if mine was shorting cause we were having a little bit of audio lag. So I just, I paused no. mine for a second. Um, but like, you know, I've had moments like that where I can barely have people to speak to and for like a month. And I think it's people really don't understand what you're signing up for and or people just want to come for a really short period of time, which I get. But, you know, then it's like I've had people be like, well, I don't want to pay. And it's like, well, what are you actually bringing then? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's this weird yeah. balance almost get offended and it's like well it's not like we're trying to offend you but like you know this isn't if you're going to come for a short period of time and just even test it out like you know you're kind of now our responsibility and you know it's 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 a tricky thing and I really it's interesting how much people don't really understand that they just see the glamorized side um and it's like well there's so much more to it and there's so much more yeah <laughs> you're giving up and struggling with like I've had the same thing like with my crew in 2021 first of all I felt horrible I basically didn't feed them for like 24 hours and then our meals for like an entire week was like a peanut butter sandwich on like not like old moldy bread basically oh, and like yeah. that is what we ate for like a week and it's like it was funny they all joked like that I got them uh, a good diet for summer <laughs> But it was like, you know, like that's what you're doing sometimes, you know, like, and it's again, worth it, but I don't think people realize what you're really getting into sometimes. Yeah. It's, I mean, shoot, it's the same thing. Like our, you know, our instructors are moving around. Uh, we're cooking our meals. We're probably sharing bedrooms together. <laughs> we're sleeping in the bush. Uh, you know, we're, we're not living lives of luxury. We're crammed into small vehicles or we're piled up with, you know, our crew vehicles and yeah, the, the stuff looks cool and entertaining and it's definitely, you know, interesting work, but there's a yeah. lot like we're not like rarely do we get to stay at a lodge. And if we do, it's very short term and it's more of a like, Hey, you've been here like 30 times. Can we give you two nights to just relax? I'm like, sure. We still got to work though you know, <laughs> so yeah. we're not going on game drives and we're not enjoying the full services of that facility. Um, but yeah, conservation is interesting like that because I mean, it is cool. Luckily people care enough to even start the conversation. Just this, a lot of us have that burden of kind of sharing what the reality versus expectation is. Um, you know, it's, it's, not glamorous work. That's, I guess that's the end take is this, it's not glamorous. You have to really care about 
these issues and this lifestyle to stay in it. And I think that's what's so cool about talking to so many folks from so many different backgrounds. We all have this kind of story. We all have this like, yeah, we were eating, you know, like my, I use one on mine where it was like, I, we were eating biltong and pop for like four weeks. And that was the only thing that was going to be possible. And we were cool for it. But man, were we daydreaming of pizza and beer? Like I could not get that out of my head. Um, and that, that is what it is, you know, and long travel times, uncomfortable elements, safety is a thing. Um, Oh yeah. How's it been for you? Like traveling solo and stuff like that on, on film cruiser with uh, your partner. Um, I mean, I've definitely have moments where I'm like, "Mm, maybe that was stupid, but, um, you know, it is, it's safety is definitely a thing, especially as a woman. And, I spent like three years traveling 100% by myself. Um, And I definitely had moments where I was like, I got in a taxi at 3 a.m. to go to a hotel in Zambia and it was pitch dark black. And I definitely was like, was this stupid? You know, like you have those moments and you definitely like are out of your comfort zone. Like a lot of the time, like I was even in Zambia during election and there were riots and we got stuck in one. And like, you definitely you go through stuff, you know? And again, I think there's a next element of being a woman where you're just like, um, is this unsafe? You know, um, it is a little bit nicer now traveling with people. I will say, um, I feel spoiled and I'm like, I don't want to go back, but, um, (laughs) it's, you definitely think about it. And a lot of the time, because I'm the head of the production, the safety is on me. I have to think about everybody else's safety. I have to make sure I'm not putting my crew in an unsafe situation. And that adds an extra layer of stress because if I do something stupid to myself, it's going to suck. I will feel horrible if I put other people in an unsafe situation, they get hurt. Like to me, that's just like a unacceptable and be just like horrible. You know, I'd feel so bad. So I definitely have to say, like, I think about it even more now in a weird way that I'm in charge of other people's safety. I'm oh, like, yeah. okay, like, I want to make sure everyone feels safe. Like, I want to make sure, like, we're, I'm setting us up to do this three-hour drive as safe as possible. I'm like, it's definitely like, I'll still have moments while we're traveling being like, okay, I hope this goes well. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. truly so far, I knock on wood. I work with amazing groups that have always helped us make sure we get the safest passage there. That's awesome. I feel like that's how it should be too. I mean, in all reality, that's part of like a vetting process as well. Like if a group can give you the basics of that, then they're professional at least to be aware of that. But if they're like reckless and they're just randomly inviting you to places, which we've heard many of the stories of, uh, you're like, I don't know if I want to, I don't think this is something I want to work on right now. Like this, this is a little too much. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like, Oh, show up, find your own place. And well, maybe these dates. I'm always like, okay, maybe next year. I always, you know, you kind yeah, of keep like, professional, but you're like, oh no. Yeah. You're like, that's a little bit too much of a sacrifice and risk for me here. Um, so exactly. how does your mom feel and about all this? Cause my, I mean, my mom still worries about me, which is hilarious. My dad does too, but he's, he's a little more stern on the topic. Uh, how how's your mom and the parents, how do they jam with your lifestyle? Oh my God. My mom is so freaking relaxed. She will just be like, okay, bye. Send pictures. And like, 
when I first went to Zambia, it was my first solo trip in this field. I was going 100% by myself. I was 22, I think, 21, 22. And my mom was like, have fun. <laughs> like, no worry. She's just like, oh, it'll be great. And I'm like looking at her like, is this dumb? Is this smart? She's like, yeah, have fun. It's going to be great. Just like thumbs up, like so relaxed about it. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's always been like that. Like, I, you know, I called her. I was like, oh, mom, it's elections. She's like, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay. So like, I don't know if she does that just to keep me calm. Oh, okay. You know? But she is always, she's so funny because she's like the most like, oh my gosh, it's don't, don't worry. It's going to be fine. It's going to be so much fun. I'm, you know what I mean? Like just yeah, very much like the mama bird kicking the bird out of the nest, I guess I would say. Um, <laughs> she's like, it's crazy. I'm like, people always ask and she's always like, oh no, I'm not worried. I'm like, okay. I mean, good for you. Um, <laughs> but I think that's kind of nice because she doesn't stress me out. So even if I've had moments of like nervousness, like I've had flights canceled because of stuff going on, or I can't get from point A to point B because of flooding or riots or whatever, I will say that like the fact that she remains so calm does help. It makes it very much just like, okay, well, she's not worried. Like, Yeah, it adds peace to your balance. (laughs) You're like, all right, here we go. I'm like, she's my mom. She would like, you know, so I think that actually is nice. Like I would say- like, but she's also been to Africa four times. So that I think a lot. her ease help. about it is very much just like, I think that really helps. And she travels a lot. We trekked Nepal last year. Like she's a traveler. She's going, even with everything going on in the world, this woman's going to Jordan next week. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So she's that woman. Maybe that, you know, even gives more context. She's, um, she's like telling you to level up and you're like, okay, mom. Chill. Yeah. She's like, why are you worried? I'm like, okay, guess you're not. Cause I even, I even brought up her trip next week. Um, <laughs> so it definitely like, I think when people look at me like you're crazy, I think I've just always grown up with the confidence of like, I can do it. And she's, I've been traveling world traveling with my mom since I was like a baby. So I feel like she's instilled that confidence and also just street smart, you know? Yeah. It was like, I definitely have that street smart because of that, which I'm thankful for. But it's funny because she's so relaxed. I'm like, okay. That's you know? pretty funny. That is, that is, my mom is still like, she's like, okay, well, I don't know when you're leaving or when you're coming back, but you know, just be safe. And I'm like, all right, mom, don't worry. I'm going to be as safe as possible. And, and then she's like, well, will you, will you let me know? Uh, Cause like a lot of times I can't say when, where, or how long I'm going to be because of what we work on. And so like, she's always fishing for like a, a, like a little point that she can hold on to. And then uh, my dad at this stage is just like, all right, well, uh, do I get to see you before you go? And maybe after you come back, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, cool. And so oh, my, my dad's the opposite. He's like, you're going to get kidnapped. Oh no. Poor and dad. It's always kidnapped for some reason. There's nothing else that's ever going to happen to me. I'm just going to get kidnapped. And <laughs> it's so funny. Cause I'm like, what? And he'll send me articles while I'm there. And it's just like, just so you know, and I'm like, first of all, this is like, you know, South Africa is huge. I'm like, this is like 12 hours away from me, but it's so <laughs> funny because it will just be like, you're going to get kidnapped. But then he doesn't like, it's funny. Cause then he'll just text me like, are you home yet? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> it's just funny. Like, it's like kind of, it's just, yeah, they're very opposite. That, that is pretty entertaining. 
um shoot i mean parents i mean i i give it to them shoot but that's best good that your mom is so calm with it because it is one of those things sometimes like having a worried family member is something that doesn't you don't want to have adding into the chaos where they're checking in and they're freaking out and you're like it's okay it's cool trust me i'll let you know if it's not um and, and like, i think that's in the realm with like stuff going on like remaining, calm, like remaining calm, I think is the biggest advice I could ever give someone wanting to get into conservation and just like, yeah. even just traveling alone, I would say like, even when things go wrong, the number one thing you can do to help yourself is like remain calm and take a step back. Like, I feel like that has helped me in so many situations where, cause things go wrong. Things go wrong when you travel and things go wrong when you travel internationally and then things go wrong when you're in conservation all the time, <laughs> like, all the time. Like, and things go wrong when you film. The other thing is like camera equipment just stops working. This happens. Like the things that have happened to me, even take out of working in the bush that just go wrong. And then you add the bush element. I've had to just learn that like, you just really have to like not panic and just like realize, like trust that you're going to make a backup plan. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and try to, and sometimes you're trying to make those backup plans beforehand, but then like you get hit with a different curveball, So like it just becomes the, the TIA factor. You're like, all right, this is happening. Here we go. Oh yeah. I mean, we, one of the dehornings we were supposed to film the morning of they're like, Oh, the chopper's not working. Yep. That sounds right. Like, that was just, and they're like, Oh, but we're going to make a plan. And all of them were sitting there having their coffee and their cigarettes and they're relaxed as can be. And one of my crew members is like stressed. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, I'm not going to stress till they're stressed. Yes. And like, it was interesting because, you know, an hour later after we all had coffee and whatever, it was like, oh, we got the chopper working. You know, it was like one of those moments that was just like, the thing that I truly love about South Africa is that it really is like, we're just going to make a plan. That we're, is, like, it's, it's even a, it's even a phrase, uh, the Afrikaans no, are plan. Yeah. <laughs> I get it so often, like, oh my God, like they all just look at me and like, we're going to Makaplan. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> You're like, all right, here we go. You're going to tell me 10 seconds before it's going to happen, but like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my heads up is going to be like a flash moment, but okay, here we go. Panic phone call that you're going to pick me up in five minutes and I have to be ready. That's my yeah. favorite. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Okay. Cool. So you hit a point earlier on, and um, I think we've talked about it in the podcast before, but it's one that's still kind of in the commonplace, but like social media being a threat for wildlife is a threat for wildlife outside of like the social aspect as well. The physical posting and sharing of happy tourists trying to have that happy moment of engagement with, so with animals on their social media actually became a pretty big problem um, about 2015-ish with posting like metadata stuff on photos where rhinos and elephants were and syndicates from those backgrounds actually being complex enough to get that information or recognize the landmarks and the terrain to get to those animals for poaching incidents. Um, have you come across people while filming where they're like, okay, we can't say where we are. We're not saying where, where these animals are. We got to, you know, strip the, the turn off all GPS points on your cameras, your phones and all that stuff. Um, have you encountered that one yet? Yeah. So I've encountered certain things where it's also just like, um, can you leave your phone in the like base? Yes. Um, I've also encountered just like, 
we film and then the next day they're like, we need to look at footage and we have to say yes or yes or no. Mm. Um, I think that's another big one. I definitely have had it where I've worked with one guy where I was never allowed to show his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well then get out of the shot. But um, that was definitely interesting. Like I've worked with like certain situations where it's like, I just show the back of a ranger's head or I've shown like, I won't, I can't say the location. I can't even say technically like the group I'm working with. Um, I've also, we went on a night patrol with a group and like, we found a bunch of bedding like on the fence line right outside the reserve. And like, it was this whole like, you know, panic, which is understandable. And like, it was like, we couldn't show certain things. And then, you know, they actually were like, oh, you can use the footage, but you can't say location or show like our logo. Or like Mm -hmm. different things. So it's like, it's definitely the safety concern of people and wildlife is huge. And that's one thing actually we're at, we're in post-production for my other documentary still. And my cinematographer is also the one editing it. And we were both talking about how we really want to get the emotions that we felt filming it into the film. Because I don't think people realize like we were out there, it's pitch dark black. And I got to tell you, like, I was scared. Like, we're checking out this scene. They're calling in backup. And we're filming all of it. And you then want to really portray, like, this was, your your heart's racing. You're looking around. You're stressed. Like, there's no doubt about it. And I, and I think that's a big thing is, like, people really don't understand the safety side of so much of this. It's of, like, super complex. <laughs> so complex. You know? And, like, I really, I just... I don't know. I think it, it, that's an interesting, like an interesting thing that people really don't understand. Like it can be really scary at times. And I've only worked with a, like a small amount of Rangers. Um, but it's every time I've had, I've had very tense moments where you're just like, Ooh, and like, um, you know, we've interviewed and heard stories and you're just like, it's, it's, it's really a lot. And a lot of emotion gets put on people and PTSD and like so much that, people don't even realize. And then the safety aspect. And I mean, you and I've talked about, you know, that, you know, Rhino man being shot. I was actually in that area the day he was and like the, like, it's just heartbreaking. Like people really don't understand how serious this is. Again, it's glamorized on social media and it's just like, wow, I want to come do that. And people really don't understand like the heartbreak and the fear that goes into so much of this job for so oh, many yeah. people big time the the big t- like thing that we see all the time with like emotion specifically in the field is um we can't always deliver that message as strongly as we'd like so like you said with being in these tense moments with the ranger teams and all these different players like there are straight up gcf team members who we cannot share on any social media it's too high risk for them um, there are interviews with people that would be fantastic, but showing their face or giving their name is too dangerous. Um, and I feel like that's also missed in the conservation space. Like this is where the reality of organized crime overlaps, protecting wildlife, um, you know, people's houses and families and jobs getting targeted. Um, so you, the, the challenge of getting the emotion out of a story or like the actual happenings can be really hard when you can't actually show that person's face name and place kind of thing because of the risk 
that it puts on them on top of the animals. And um, it's interesting because we are pretty lucky in the sense we years ago set out to get ahead of that issue in some of the community spaces because we knew we it was kind of a lost cause for now in some spaces like the greater Kruger in particular, like it's very dangerous to mm. share locations and faces of specifically key rhino conservationists or anti-poaching people. And, um, but in the Eastern Cape, we're very lucky that our rangers get to be celebrated as heroes, um, in their community space, but not everywhere, like very cautiously. So even when training those guys, talking to them about like how they have their Friday nights and their Saturday nights and they have fun. Like don't, don't over express your ranger aspect in the wrong place because that's going to make you a target. Um, if we're on arrests and that kind of thing's happening, just wear a face covering, please. Like that's a protocol we have. You don't know when you're arresting that gang member, if he got a picture of you, recognizes you, or he gets hit your face on his social media and says, these are the guys, you know, and then all of a sudden that's a bigger network of trouble. Um, and like our rangers, our instructors, myself, we've all dealt with like death threats and all sorts of other crazy stuff from the field. Um, what have like, besides the face and the name and place for filming, like how have you adapted to expressing that emotion, capturing that emotion and that storytelling challenge with like the kind of like all of the other chaos elements? Like how does that, have you adapted as a filmmaker with that in this space? It's honestly really hard. I think it's a very, it's a, it's a challenge in the sense of, like you said, these people have incredible stories and showing this would be incredible and have the emotion, but you can't. And I, this sounds, I hate cheesy documentaries where it's like over the top editing to try to make it dramatic. And like the music feels fake and the whole thing where then you also watch it and you're like, that felt forced. So it also doesn't, in my mind, get the message across. And I've yes. honestly seen some documentaries where I'm literally sitting there just like, and it's like, so it feels very cheesy. I'll say it that way. Even though I understand what they're trying to do and try to get the emotions. And so I've had to learn that balance where I don't want to be that person where it's like, you know, the dramatic boom, boom. And then like, you know, like, I just, I don't like that. So I think the thing I've had to learn is like how to build that emotion the way I do it in my filmmaking, like everybody's different is I really actually like draw out each scene. Mm -hmm. So like when um, like a piece of my other documentary, um, we have a whole ranger section um, and it's training and it, they, these <laughs> we showed up and it's day two for these rangers. Um, so we really got to witness like the whole thing, but, and that could have been difficult in the sense of they don't look badass. Yes. You know, fake guns and whatever. But if we put in the cheesy music and we make whatever, it's going to look, in my opinion, also fake. So we had to play around with it for a very long time, that whole scene. And we realized that like really letting each moment play out. And we went out in the field and the guy's talking, the instructor's talking about like, what's the number one thing you look for? And we draw out this whole thing. He's like, danger. Who do you have to protect? Your brother to your left. Like all these things, we really let each thing play out and like them loading the guns and them talking about like, they're going from knowing nothing 
to now being out in the field by themselves and letting that play for themselves and letting each ranger really speak about their feelings and what it's really like to be out there and all this stuff. Like I've learned the way that I can get my, the motion without feeling cheesy is letting each, you know, scene breathe, letting each, you know, beat have its natural beat and just showing what it's really like without rushing it, without the fake music, let, like hearing them just out there, you know, and like, and like, you know, some of their faces are saying, they're just like, and not, you know, all that stuff. I've learned that that's kind of how I'm working with getting the emotions, you know, and the scenes that were out at dark, letting that really play out where you can only see what the torch is in front of you and the camera's following it. And you're going to make the audience sit with that uncomfortableness. And like those type of things is kind of how I handle it without feeling like fake, but not being able to show things, you know, and music does play a key role with people's emotions. They've done studies about that, but still kind of doing it in a way that's like not an overkill, you know, so that you're sitting in that silence at night where all you hear is like, you know, the nature around you and all you can see is like a tiny section that the torch is hitting, you know, that makes people feel uncomfortable. Big time, big time. So here's another one. Um, we, we both know how this goes. How has it been as a filmmaker and working in the field as a foreigner and female? Like what are some of the challenges you've hit with that? Um, everyone thinks I'm dumb. No. (laughs) I got the start at the start. I meet people. People are like, I get a lot like, Oh, you're American. Oh, you're American. Oh, you guys know nothing. Like I get the jokes of like, you guys can't even point out South Africa on a map. You know, like I get those type of jokes. Um, and then the female thing I get very like kind of talked down to or like, Oh, sweetheart. Like you don't want to come or like, Oh, it's too dangerous. Or one was like, Oh, where's your man? You know, like different things like that where you hear, you're just like, yeah. And you're just like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I didn't know it was, you know, the 1800s and I couldn't leave my house without him. But <laughs> it's like really interesting. I love that. It's just, it's, so I definitely, it's it's a challenge. Like I have double against me. I'm like a woman and I'm an American. It took a lot to get, I guess, trusted. I'll say it that way. Like it took me doing smaller projects and people like, white shark projects and elephants alive and different groups giving me a chance that then I could build a bigger connection. And then, you know, these people could vouch for me. And then it's like, you get another kind of connection and then they can vouch for you. And I think that that's a big thing. Um, and then I just really am conscious about how I carry myself in that space. I read up on the group I'm working at. I read up on current news constantly because I want to walk in knowing as much as I can being as educated as I can so I can kind of prove them wrong. And I don't want to just ever kind of, and I don't think I know everything, you know, I never come in being like, I know more, I know whatever, but I also don't want to come in uneducated about the current situation and, you know, prove them right. I guess I would say, you know, I'm always trying to come in and be like, you know, I am, I know more than the average American (laughs) and, you know, like I am here to, because I'm serious about this and I do know it, you know? Yeah. But it's a I challenge. think that's awesome. I mean, it's a, you know, I, I've shared with you like how like our female team members have hit brick walls and how like I've had to navigate that with them and how we've had to tackle that. Um, but like, what would you tell someone who is hoping to walk in your life footsteps? Like, what would be some of the tips that you'd give them 
um, for filmmaking, filmmaking and conservation and like, I guess leading with style with how you've been doing that, like taking the high road, but proving them, not letting them be proved right. Like what would be some of your, your, your tips for someone trying to come in? Um, I would be honest in the sense of film and conservation are both a man's world. So in both my aspects of my life, I'm in, I'm the underdog, you know, like I'm, it's definitely a challenge, like to be in the two man's world, you know what I mean? Like to really live in that. Um, I definitely also would say have thick skin and don't take anything personally. Like I've had to, you know, take it on the chin a lot with certain things. Um, and you can't react because that's almost giving them what they want. And, you know, to me, like I've been yelled at, I've been, you know, talked down on in a public setting, like, and I think the best thing I would say is like having thick enough skin that you're going to look there and just be like, I hear you, but this is what I think. And like always kind of remaining very calm, I think is like the number one thing you can do. Um, and again, go home and <laughs> let out your emotions. I'm not like, you know, you're going to have to, but I would say like the number one thing I've learned is just kind of to like know your stuff and to not react really kind of just, you know, be like, well, that's one way to look at it. But, you know, like I, and I almost, I think of the things I'm going to say if I get called out and like, at this point I'm way more used to it. I'm not saying it's easy. You got to start somewhere, but definitely like really practicing the, like, I'm not going to react. Okay. I hear you. Like I've even had people try to mansplain me how to make films. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like out in the bush and the guy's literally like, well, no, you should be standing here or like, you need to be doing this. And you know, you look at them, you're like, I understand that for this first shot, I'm going to go this way. You know what I mean? Like you really, it's like, I've, oh my God, it's definitely a thing. And just realize you're going to meet that and just be prepared and keep, keep that chin up in a respectful way. Um, and I think that would be the number one thing is, well, mad really props for, for doing it. Yeah. Oh my God. It's hard. To it's, uh, I mean, I've seen it. I've been there. I've, you know, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's already so complex. And then like, even so like some of our female Rangers, the headaches that they've hit, um, my God, our female instructors, our female program managers and coordinators, you know, it's just like time wasting BS that you're just like, do I be calm with this at this point? I mean, from my perspective, when it happens in front of me, I'm usually not going to be the nicest person. If it happens to one of my team members, um, usually but as a I'm female, gonna... they expect us to react a certain way. We get that bad rep that we're, you know, emotional wherever. So I like to prove them wrong in the sense of they think I'm going to be emotional. I so think that's I, awesome that you I'm like, going to be like very like stoic and everything you say to me, I'm just going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to do it this way. You know, like, because they do like, sadly you reacting to a guy still comes off better than if I react to a guy. hundred percent. He'll go, yep. oh, so you're emotional or you're bossy or you're the way that they'll come off to me. I could say the same thing that you would say to him and I'm still going to be reactive and emotional. Hundred percent, and I feel like that's where it's like leading with like class and style is really important because you actually are with your tone and your silence in that aspect. You are teaching a stronger lesson 
because you're not letting them get control of that. Whereas like for me, I'm almost like, for, for me, it feels like if I see those situations, like I've got to quote, like correct my own, if that's a weird thing to say, like, I'm like, whoa, 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 hold up. No, no, don't loop me in with that bullshit. Like, I'm not going to be playing that game with you. Um, and then it's like a two sided hit where like, cause like our team members will obviously have to correct and manage and stuff like that too. Um, but then too, like learning a when to walk away from that as well. Like, like a simple thing in our aspect would be like, Oh, you're going to be like that. We don't want to be part of this. So cheers. Yeah. Another big thing I always say is like, if somebody says something kind of like rude or like uncomfortable or sexual and we're in a group, I always say, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Can you repeat that? Because oh, the thing nailed we, it. if they have to repeat, it starts to be like, and people, other people start to hear, or like they have to say it more than once. They'll get uncomfortable. Like that was the greatest lesson I learned. I had some guy say some horrific comment to me in a group of like four people. And so I just turned to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't hear that. Can you say it again? And he was like, and I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like, and that was actually the greatest thing my mom ever taught me was that line. Like, that's awesome. You know, you really just put them on the spot. Like, yeah, say this comment again. Say it right now in front of all these people. Like it's definitely having that where you're still kind of putting your foot down, but like you say it calmly. You're just like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? And it's just like that. It's it's how you get your wins and putting a foot down of like, hey, don't mess with me. But without, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Like all that stuff, you know? Yeah. No, I totally understand. The, that's actually a um, that's a tactic that's actually utilized in train arguments. So like if you're looking, so like attorneys will use mm-hmm. that. So if someone is like up on the stand and they're getting grilled and they say something like off color, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that, please? Like if it's a, like an attack version, it's also used in uh, interviews slash interrogations with criminals where it's like, oh, and you thought that was OK. And it's like uh, you hit that thing and it's really fascinating how that does punch the psyche on that one. We're like, whoa, you watch their their wheels spin and then they start to back up. Yeah, uh, my mother used that on us as teenagers. Uh oh, <laughs> that's where it was learned. That's, that's awesome. I learned it early on. I was like, "Oh God, this makes you feel really uncomfortable." You're like, oh, "I am in trouble." Uh, yeah, but it works. It really, you know, you gotta like because I get it. You don't want to let everything pass, and like you said, there's a wait time to. I've had situations where I'm like, mm, "I'm not gonna, I'm gonna leave early." I've left early a situation, and I've had times where, by the second phone call or like Zoom, I'm like. I don't yeah. like this. And you know, you got, and I do, you got to trust your gut. Yeah. And I even ask other people, Hey, have you worked with this group? You know, cause it is a conservation as much as a very actually like tight knit group. Like mm-hmm. you and I even overlap with like 30 people. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, exactly. It's interesting to me because it does help in a lot of ways because I can call someone like you up or other people I know I trust and I can be like, Hey, have you worked with this group? Hey, have you worked with a person? Would you like, you know, because you do, you do have to vet people, especially as a woman. And I don't want to go in a situation where I'm ever going to be a unsafe or just be, you know, talked down to and, you know, treated poorly. Yeah. Poorly. That that's also like, you know, not even as dramatic as something bad happening, but still it's just unpleasant when you're just like, wow, you're just going to talk down to me for two weeks. <laughs> this is and, at the end of the day, it's your time, your resources, your skills, your professional credibility. And it is really important to navigate that space. That's another thing in conservation. 
that is really difficult because there are amazing people doing amazing things Mm -hmm. and there are some bad characters doing decent work uh but not the best role models in the world uh and it's a hard line because it's very weird to navigate it's uh sometimes it feels like a high school campus you know everything about what that problem is and you're just like i'm gonna avoid that issue um and then there are those who are like brilliant what they do and chaos in other ways and you're just like i'm in for the ride i'm in for the ride they are the best player here we go (laughs) i feel like that one is the most common i feel like i meet people i'm like oh you do amazing stuff i would love to showcase you what is happening (laughs) (laughs) even in a conversation i'm having with them it'll be like i'm like okay i'm gonna like i can't even write down notes in this meeting like but you know that they like do incredible work, but you're like sitting there like, oh no. You're like, you know, mm, like big umbrella does this really well, challenges. And they're like, <laughs> going to work through this one. So it's definitely, I mean, that's the thing is there's so many different types of people. It's, and you have the old school, like boys club, I kind of call it, that are still in conservation, big you time. know, and that's, you know, definitely its own group. And then you have kind of the next generation coming up. And then you have like the youngins that are a whole different story, but like, it's this interesting mix that is in conservation right now. And like, you know, like you said, I meet people that are incredible, that are chaos. And I just meet other people that are just, you're like, Ooh, I get a bad sense. And then you meet incredible people that are just doing incredible work that you are like, this is great. Like it's, it's definitely a big mix, but it's, it's always funny because the, there's always those chaotic people or, even in one meeting, I'm like, I don't even know what we're doing. Like, I can't even tell you like what's happening. <laughs> we we right. have the same alignment. So like when we're like, like working on a project. So like perfect example, when you came to film down with our mounted unit and anti-poaching unit and canines, um, you were there in like our final like tidying stage before we, re- we reintroduced the black rhinos into the zone. And we had to do all these things for like the last six years to get to this checkoff stage so that the government was cool with it. So we had stewardship, all this insanity. So there's a lot of role players there. There's like ecologists, national park, provincial reserves, veterinarians, uh, state vets, uh, the reserves themselves, all these things. So you go into these meetings and you're just like, I just need to get through this meeting with this person because this is going to be pure chaos and I'm buckled up for the rodeo. And then you're like, okay, walk away from this meeting is this is what I have to do so I can accomplish this goal. And then you fast forward and you're like, wow, we all came together on these things. And then you look back at some of those things and you're like, I have no idea what that person did. I have no idea what they, I don't know what they did, but they did something because we all got here and it's like comical because like some of the space in the big projects is like that. You're like, this person's always here, but I have no idea like what you were doing. And they may be like the chaos person in the room, or they may be the, you know, doing, I don't want to say nominal because all of it really matters, but like, it's, it's a challenge to work with some of them. Cause you're just like, Oh my God, you make my hair go white, dude. Like, I don't know what you're doing in your life. So oh, it's we crazy. Filmed vets. We, we literally, I filmed vets for six weeks. We didn't finish the episode. They plan for me to come back. They give me the dates. <laughs> I literally, then I say, I land on this day and they said, okay, the next day we're going to have a meeting. They pick the day. 
we show up at their office and they go, what are you doing here? <laughs> That's so classic. They literally oh my gosh. the meeting completely. And they were like, oh, we have a meeting. I go, you guys picked the day and time. And it was the day before. They had to remember it for 24 hours. And then they're like, oh, okay. Then we do a meeting. And one of the vet goes, well, I leave on Monday. And I was like, oh, my you're like, bro, you did this. You told me these things. And it was like, so like, we literally left the meeting just like, what? It was like, literally like, you guys picked me to come back in September. Now one of you is gone for the whole month. The whole month he was gone. <laughs> and then on top of it, you completely forgot the meeting. I sat there just being like, I is this really happening? It's really yeah. happening. And you know, in the end, yeah. we still got epic stuff and it worked out because it just does somehow. But I have to tell you, like, I sat Dude. there just being like, <laughs> literally, oh, I'm leaving Monday. I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. Thank that, you so uh, <laughs> That like, reminds what? me of like some of the big meetings, like where we go to some of these places and people keep coming to me. They're like, oh, Mike, um, are you, so like, what are we going to do? I'm like, oh, I'm actually not in charge of that. Like we're, we're doing this and they're like, yeah. Oh, okay. Well yeah, but you always have like the a schedule and a plan set up and like, I miss things all the time. I'm not going to say that. Um, yeah. My crew helps keep me on track and stuff, but it's funny because sometimes other teams will come to our team and be like, Hey, so how are we going to do this? We're like, um, pretty sure that's not us doing that one. So oh, no. well, let me get that information for you. And it's funny because you're like, then they're asking me, they're like, Hey, such and such was asking like what we're going to do. And I'm like, we're not, we're not doing that. That's not us. And you know, these big projects, big roles and stuff like come together like that. But somehow too, with all the crazy and the chaos that we have going on, we all pull it off. Um, That's the thing. It somehow gets pulled off. I really, it, it, I wish I could study it. I wish I could like, we could get like oh, a yeah. psychologist in to like study because I've never lived in such chaos. <laughs> it always works out. Yep. How, I've like literally, if this was in a Hollywood film set, it wouldn't work out. But yet out in the oh, bush, no. it works out every time. Every, and they're it's just like, what? I would, I guess I would be more relaxed if I truly believed it was always going to work out. But it cracks me up because I sit there and I'm just like, I'll look at my partner to South African, which helps because I'll look at her being like, oh my God, this is never going to work. How are we going to get? And she's like, no, it will. I'll message him tomorrow. Or, oh, I'll call him right now. And then it's like, oh yeah, we're good. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like it, it's so wild to me. I love it though, because it's like, you sit there and you're like, there's no way this is going to happen. And then it's like, you know, and even Here with the meeting with the vets, I sat there, I left and I was like, so frustrated. Like my partner was like, well, let's go get a glass of wine. It's going to be fine. And I'm sitting there being like, oh my God, we're never going to get the stuff we need. We got four carnivores, which is all we needed, you know, and we wrapped it up and I sat there. I was like, okay. Like you're like, okay, I got to give it to them. Somehow this worked. I, I'm giving in now. I give. Yeah. We, it, that's another thing that's really usually funny is so when we have people follow along, I, out of the same thing of safety, concern, their experience, will go through as much effort as possible to pre-explain what to expect, but it's impossible to explain what to expect <laughs> at the same time. Like everybody comes in with their own preconceived idea of what that is. And you're like, oh, this is as far as I can explain it. And like, uh, even even on the positive only side, not the chaos funny side, like, hey, how amazing this 
game drive eco tour combo is going to be like it's going to be a life-changing experience for you but i also can't describe it like it there are not words to explain like how this is going to fall into play and i feel like a lot of that is unique to africa as a whole the continent um less in the asian country space and the central and south american space uh just i think because there's less volume of things going on in aspects like that but it's a very funny thing because you have to be uh you have to adapt to it or be a special personality to thrive in it because for like your accountant mentality people they hate it they hate it so much there's like nope nope this is not my thing i think a lot of personalities like i think i already had a bit of the personality of i'm the third child i'm the baby i'm the like by far the most adaptable. I'm kind of just like, yeah, whatever. Like I'll say yes to things and just be like, cool. You know, like I'm that person that if you invited me somewhere like in three weeks, I'd be like, okay. You know what I mean? Like I already have that personality versus one of my friends that I film with a lot. He's my cinematographer. He does not have that personality. (laughs) We're filming and he keeps going, I'm I'm having dreams of all my teeth falling out. And like, Oh my gosh. So stressed. And I, and he's like, so you know what I mean? So I, I I think it really is like you have that personality to some extent. Still as an American, I think we still then have to adapt. Yeah. But like I have met people where I'm like, I don't care if I stuck you somewhere for two years. I don't think you're ever going to enjoy it. Versus for me, you know, like even when you and I talk and you're like, oh, maybe come to this. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. kind of like you either have that personality in my mind of like, if I get a cool phone call to film something, even if it's in five days, like I'm going to make it work and I'm going to go. And like other people would be like, well, I don't, I don't know about this. And like, you know what I mean? So I do, I do think also like, I don't know. There's a special, there is a special personality that is yeah. like our field project coordinators tend to have this personality, which is why they thrive. Whereas like you never want to fail someone out before they try, but there are people who you can see like, it is it that it is not in their environment it's that like peak operative environment yeah. so and we actually we see that in rangers too you see that when you're going through ranger training mm. um the one thing that stuck with me is re- at a recent adaption that we've had in some of our training is in the old mentality of training everybody learns everything and they have to all do this which mm. we do that to a core basic now but you have to understand things like becoming a tracker or becoming a mounted ranger or a canine handler or a drone operator, those are very specialized. So not everybody's going to thrive in that. So you you get everybody to a base understanding so they can work on a team, but then you thrive yeah. further with like those individuals. And like that's actually very unique to like the filmmaker space too. There's only a handful of people really moving around doing film, true, gritty, run and gun storytelling. There's plenty of very white collar news crews showing up and casting their stories on a very, you know, bracketed form, but to get out and do it the way you're doing it and how a few others are doing it. It's so important because it's, it, it delivers the reality, like so many more layers of reality that we have to deal with. So uh, again, props for that. It's kind of like a lost art almost. It used to be way more of a thing. Like you look back at certain documentaries and it was all run and done. And That's now I true. feel like everything's supposed to be pretty and everything's just like supposed to be perfect. And even when I started filming, we're filming my other doc and like, you know, you're on the Jeep and you're doing this and like all of us, you know, it's not, 
I don't care how good you are. It's not going to be perfect. And I yeah. remember my cinematographer being like, I just need the Jeep to stop. And I was like, it's okay. If it's bumpy, we're out there. And even I have to remind myself filming this doc use. I'm like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Even if it goes out of focus for a moment, think people are moving. And with you guys, it was horses and this and the dogs and the man was running towards me. And it's like, you're not going to make that look epic unless I had like a giant crane and like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's impossible. And I think that was something that like, it's kind of a lost art of that, like running gun old school documentary. But I think one, it's the only way like you can make certain, like of the films about you guys, like there's no way that like, you know, um, but it's also kind of part of it. Like, when we're chasing after the canines that are doing tracking, you feel like you're part of it. It's like almost like a POV. Oh, and yeah. it's like, to me, it makes it actually more real than if it was like this perfect slow opening. You know what I mean? Like with that, it's like, to <laughs> me, that's not what it's like. Like I'm out there huffing and puffing. My, my film my partner fell in a hole running after the dogs. Like the whole thing is chaos. Like she, literally like she's, she falls, the drones overhead, the horses are running. Like it was hilarious, but it's like, that's, that's the truth. It's not like, wow, this was such a beautiful moment. You're like, <laughs> Oh yeah. That's so you funny. Know? You mentioned falling in the hole. The one of the last, the last uh, canine tracks I was running with uh, our joint operations, I was running with a GoPro in front of me so that I, we could get footage of it. And I was looking at the canine handler because we were moving in formation because I was actually part of the formation, but I just was running with the GoPro. And because at that moment, I looked at the GoPro because the battery overheated and I was still running. And then I looked at the canine. I fell into a porcupine hole. Boom. Just like literally ran straight into it. And the funny thing is, it's like that is so normal to everybody in the Ranger team that's running. They laugh for half a second. I laugh for half a second and just kept running. And then, like, later picked up the damaged parts. I'm like, oh, I broke this. I broke that. Like, just have oh, to keep going. Oh, the best part is the drone caught Kayla falling in the hole. Oh, that's amazing. So <laughs> we're watching the drone footage, and she just you just see this person decently behind, too. So it's just, like, this random... <laughs> it's just, like... <laughs> Everybody who's listening who's working has worked canines in the field on this is going to have a relatable story. Oh my God. Or like running straight into a tree while looking to the right and then looking back and you're like, Poof. like, oh my God. so it's many things. Footage is hilarious. You hear my heavy breathing, which is the best part. It's like Kayla and I are listening, watching the footage, just like, <gasps> her and I are just like, how are these people running like this? And then it's just like, you're also like, oh my God. And the things that hit you. And then it's like the stress of all that. And like, oh my God, I'll never forget it. And even with the vets, they dart the animal and then they, they take off running and yeah. they're fast. I don't know how they're in shape. They are fast. <laughs> and like, I'm running after them, but you're with the camera. Yeah. So I am like looking where I'm walking because I'm like, I need this camera not to break. So I'm running a lot slower and I'll never forget one of the vets yelling my name, Kendra, Kendra, where are you? <laughs> and I come running up this hill and he's on a whole other hill with like the kudu he had darted. And he's like, <laughs> And then he's like pulling the kudu and he's like, where have you been? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you took off running and I tried. And he's just like, are you slow? I was like, okay, I have a camera. You live in the bush. I'm like trying to not fall and break my camera. But he was like, call he was like, yeah, you got to get faster. I was like, oh my God. Like, 
It was hilarious though. Cause you just hear him yelling my name and I'm just like, Oh my God. Like that. I feel like that's all that procedures. It's hilarious because we watch like our crew or guests on procedures mm-hmm. and like you give them a safety brief about what it's going to be like before they hit the vet. Then the vet doesn't talk about what it's going to be. And then boom, it all starts happening. And you're watching someone fall off the back of a truck. You're watching someone like army crawling in the bush. Cause they fell. You're, you're seeing people run into each other. Uh, and then the funniest thing is the recounting afterwards is everybody coming back together and be like, yeah, you were there and I was over here and this is over here. And that is again, the magic of the chaos. Like everybody comes back together. I'm always amazed in some of these procedures, like people don't get hurt because uh, of the potential. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. It's, we it's did a high p- probability. We did some darting. It was the hyena. First of all, so we lost the hyena. We darted it. We lost it. So then <laughs> all six of us are walking through the bush at pitch dark black separately trying to find it. And then you just hear somebody go, hey, guys are there Buffalo in this reserve? Cause oh, we're just walking pitch dark black. Most of us don't even have big torches. They just have, we have like little headlights and all of a sudden we all stop and go, does anyone know what animals are in this reserve? And all of us just are standing there just like, we're so dumb because we all went full fled looking for this hyena. And then somebody goes, I don't think so. And then it was like, we all were like, well, we got to keep moving like this hyena's darted. So we just kept walking through and I bump into somebody and they go, I really don't know if there are though. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then we finally found the hyena and all of us were like, again, it's that thought you leave because you have the adrenaline during, but then after you're like. You're like, wow. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. You we've know, uh... you're just walking in pitch dark black and you're just like, Okay. I'm trusting the universe. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Uh, we, so same thing. I, I mean, I've been on that in like procedures, but in the patrol sense too, like when like we are on joint training as like an instructor and we're embedded with a team and like, you're like, okay, so like what animals are we dealing with? Where do they usually hang out? We're, we're doing like pressure mapping and they're like, oh yeah, they usually hang out over here. And then like something happens and like we're on a call out and we're in a response and you're like, is this the area where those lines are? Oh, like the large group of, lines they're like oh i think so i'd have to use a map you're like cool dang it (laughs) like neat here we go and we've been chased by big bulls oh yeah like his buddies come back and the security's running towards us screaming and like you know like i'm I'm, we have a bunch of guests we have 40 guests yeah and someone's someone's like some random one person is like standing guard Yep. And then all the tourists are like taking videos of the bull running towards them. <laughs> and they're just standing there. And Oblivious to the danger that is about to yeah. embrace them. Yeah. Exactly. And you're just sitting there. And I sit there just being like, wow, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the bush. I I mean, I love the lifestyle. I get, yeah. I, I embrace the chaos. In fact, um, on one of my suits, uh, they offered like a free like insignia on it. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's new. I, oh, cool. Like I'll put a insignia. It's like under the collar. And so I put peace and chaos. And with the phrasing in my mind being life in the bush, cause I'm yeah. at peace and chaos with that stuff. So like I get a kick out of it. Um, but I feel the same way. Like, it's funny to me, like other people, I explain the situation to, they'll be like, Oh God, no, never. And like, I love it. 
like in a really weird way. Like I get stressed oh, yeah. at times. I can admit it. Um, Same. I do too. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Like I come home and the times I'm in post-production, I'm like, I'm bored. I'm ready to go back. So bored. The connectivity with like uh, the quote home Western world is like yeah. so different. What people care, care about and prioritize. I'm just like, I don't care. Uh, and then that's funny. You mentioned like telling the story and someone's like, Oh my God, that's horrifying. Like that wasn't the point of my story, but the point of the story was it's funny. And they're like, like I, I have a huge spoon on. I'm like, yeah. And then we did this and they're like, Oh my God. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't care. <laughs> we, we're not on a line on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Even, I mean, even the basic things, some of the things like when you laugh about like how bad a day was and you go to the grocery store and they threw out all the, the produce and meat because the load shedding ruined everything. And like, that was the day you were going to go shopping and you've been in the bush and then you're just like, Oh, cool. And then you laugh about it. Cause that's all you can do. And then you go get coffee and then you just are like, I guess we're going to eat at the restaurant tonight. And like everybody else is like, this is devastating. You're like, this is the way, this is the way it is. Like, here we go. You almost laugh more on those bad days. Like you we do. had days where like we chased a cheetah, around for like six hours and it turned out to be an old elephant collar that was outside somebody's house. That's what the beeps we were getting. Oh my. (laughs) And literally we all just like, we're dying laughing because we were like, (sighs) Like, can you imagine? We literally in the sun chasing this thing. And it was like a static elephant collaring. And we were like, (laughs) it was old too. And you're sitting there being like, Oh God. But it's like you laugh at those days, like the amount of times that like we are like, maybe we're also sleep deprived, but we're hysterically laughing about like the dumbest thing or like something going wrong. And like, it's just like you have to, but it's like, I don't know, like it's such a, in my, my eyes, like such a nice way of living. Like, I don't know, like I I would take that chaos over, I don't know, being static here <laughs> yeah or stuck in traffic or that kind of um, stuff yeah there's yeah no way. yeah i'm the same way we and it's funny because like a lot of crew members are the same way and like they they all have post africa blues like coming back home from the trips and the deployments they're all like god it's so rough to adjust back i'm like yeah i totally get it and like i mean at this point like i kind of en- i embrace a little bit of everything like because sometimes it's nice to like not have to be on the back of the vehicles every day or in the bush or like all that stuff that gets really yeah. rough or like having that one favorite comfort food that you can get to <laughs> or DoorDash. DoorDash. Yeah. Something simple. Like so I could like actually order home. delivery. Yeah. yeah. Those things. Oh. I think the more I now spend overseas, it is, I do get like a balance a bit because then I, I hit my point where I'm, I am exhausted. I want my comfort. And it's kind of nice because I can come back and kind of like, I always say I lick my wounds and like yes. do what I need to do to pull myself together. And then I start to feel my itch and I'm like, okay, we got to go back. And like, I think for me, that would be where ideally I go is like have even more time there and then come back and appreciate it, but then go back, you know, like. Th- that's, that's generally how of- I do it these days is I do long stents on either side or like longer gaps in longer stays and stuff. Cause it is the travel itself becomes brutal, um, in the mix. So what is, when you're in South Africa, like what is your staple food and comfort in the midst of all this stuff? Like when you're having a rough day and you're like, I need to chill. And like, this is the food item you find. 
pizza for sure, like a fresh baked pizza, and then a gin Marilla and tonic. Marilla Bar pizza? Marilla Bar pizza is good. Heck yeah. Build your own. Yep. It's fantastic. Honestly, now also in the Hutzbreit is at their brewery has sushi. I saw that. It's good. Okay. I have to say someone from California, I was like, and then I got to tell you after a long day, I go get a large glass of wine and some sushi. I'm good to go. See, it's funny because like, that is sushi is a comfort food for me. Like, like here in the States, if I get, it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to chill. I'm going to get sushi, but <laughs> in the bush, I still do not trust it. I'm like, I'm going to die. And I need to choose a different way to die. Like, that's not the way I'm, I'm going out today. Okay, if it makes me feel better, I've had it like 30 times. Okay. Like, if you, if I you can pass that many once a week, twice a week, sometimes there. Okay. That's good. That means, that means they've got it under, under wraps. I mean, Early days of Hisprite, I would have been like, ooh, death sentence, not doing that one. But that makes sense because now Hisprite's got a lot of traffic. So it's got a lot of ebb and flow of people and a lot of chefs from Johannesburg. And It's you know. building. They're making a hospital. Yeah, it's like, crazy. They're even trying to, I think, build the airport out even more. Oh, it's, no. It's a, I know. It's, it's a whole different world. But hey, they got sushi that's edible. You know? It makes it good. And you know, the cappuccinos are killer too. That's like my oh, morning thing. Cappuccino yeah. start. Yeah. That I can have like a really bad everything else and I can get a cappuccino be okay. Yeah. But it's nice to have those small comforts. I do have you to say. You need them. You really need them. Because you're sacrificing so many other ones. There's like these little, these little things that you hold on to in the day. You're like, if I could just get to this. So. I even bring like my favorite little power bars from America. And That's then, like, key. On my worst day, I'm like, I'm down. I just, I'm like, oh, okay. There it's it is. Fine. There it is. I'm good. I, I always recommend that. to our team that's going out for the first time, bring like several of your favorite like snacks and comfort foods and like candy bars. Cause you'll find ones you like there. But like when, if you're exhausted and you want that little comfort that brings you the peace. And so. it really goes such a long way to even just find like little, like I download my favorite show. And so even yep. if there's light shedding and I'm sitting in pitch dark black and like there was a day actually we were filming you guys and oh no, Kayla smashed her lens. Ooh. It was load shedding and we literally just like sat in the pitch dark black with a glass of wine watching a show that I had downloaded and we both just sat there like silent. It was just like. I have been there. <laughs> that is something we do too. We will. Um, several other team members will download different things on their hard drives. And then like, I'll put some stuff like on my phone itself. And then those days where like, you just need a break and there's no light, there's no power, there's no heat, whatever it is. You're like, this is my escape. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Oh, I guess that's man. another advice I would give is like the little things that you can do, especially like some of the really rugged times I've been out there and I'm just like, and I'll be gone for, you know, three months at a time. Yeah. And it, Definitely like, you're like, okay, here we go. Listen to that. But again, then I come back and I'm like three months here. Get me. <laughs> yeah. I need to go back. So right. funny. Well, what's work. next on your calendar of work? So you've got the, you've got a documentary coming out that you guys yeah. are in post-production in, right? Yeah. And then you've got the docuseries. So yeah. like, what does the next year look like for you? So finishing this year, because it's already November, I'm full in post-production for my other one. Um, we're almost in picture lock, and then it goes to sound mixer and all that stuff. But my next, 
I guess two and a half into January, because the holidays is hard, is just about getting that other film to festivals, basically. Um, so then that will go off to festivals at the beginning of 2024. Well, it's so crazy to say. Um, right. Right. And then honestly, next year is a ton of filming. Cool. Um, we have four groups lined up, one in Namibia, which will be really cool. Um, talk about rugged though. Um, yes, very. And doing that and then, you know, filming as much as we can and finishing the first uh, season. Rad. That's pretty cool. So what's, what's the, what's the future goal then after this block of stuff is done? Like what's your hopes after you've kind of closed this stuff out? Um, I want multi-seasons. Nice. So I hope to sell this docu-series. Um, we want season two to be in Zambia and Malawi. Oh, cool. Oh yeah. We want to go like global. Like we would like to get to the point where, you know, season five's in South America, because I don't think people even realize the amazing work happening everywhere. everywhere. And yep. so I think for me, it would really be to be dream, dream, like global, um, but I do think season two, we're already, cause you know, we, I plan ahead. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we have some people we're talking to in Zambia and Malawi and just seeing what this can go and just keep, I don't know, working in conservation and filming and. Kind of go with the next flow. Yeah, Go with the next flow. Whatever I get invited to Mike. That's there it is. There's well, that, the good news is, is there are a lot of good stories. There are a lot of good groups and there's a lot of good hard work being done in a lot of places. And <clears throat> there's always a shortage in the wildlife content realm. For it's, sure. It's always the lowest percentage represented in the general media space. So like there's so much to do so many things you can and so many varieties that come with just this realm. So that'll be very exciting to see. And, um, <laughs> that's yeah. my life. That will be my life. Cool. Sounds like it's gonna be fun. Well, I won't take any more of your time. It's been awesome to have you on the show today. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you do, what are the best places for them to connect with you? Um, let's say Instagram, probably. Okay. Um, I mean, what's I your handle? Uh, at world of Kenny, but with two underscores between the words. Perfect. Um, I think that would probably be, I don't know if I want to give out my email. <laughs> no, no, no. Do you have a website for any of the films or do you have a website for your business? And um, I do have a website coming for the docu-series. It's going to be launched this week, actually. My sister. Oh, right. Um, and it's called Guardians Untold Stories of Conservation. Awesome. So I would say that's, and I we post constant updates on my Instagram, so. Okay, perfect. And for anybody listening to the GCF side, if you guys have questions, you're more than welcome to reach out to our social media pages, Instagram, Facebook, the website, Volunteer Coordinator, or the, the website page that contact us in general. Um, if you're interested in a specialty project of any aspect, or if you're a filmmaker and you want to see how to get into this, this field, feel free to reach out. Um, for anybody looking to get connected with us on some of the upcoming adventures, again, it's going to be the social media pages. Uh, that's the best way to do that. Or if you have contact with the direct project coordinator or instructor, um, Kendra, 
best wishes and luck for the next adventures. And if there's anything we can do on the GCF side, the invitation's always open. And uh, if you need help as well, when you're that side, you can always call our crew. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So with that, everybody, that's another episode of Coffee and Conservation uh, with special guest today, Kendra Carano. Is that proper? Kendra Carano? Okay. Uh, I am holding the fort today for the show. Robert couldn't make it, but hopefully we'll have him on the next one. Stay tuned for more guests from the Coffee and Conservation space. Thank you.